Now, um, my next statement might surprise you. If you have an, an iPhone or other kind of smartphone, um, if you have a dumb phone, I'm sorry, but this is a smartphone. So if you have a smartphone, pull it out real quick. I want to show you something really cool that you need to be aware of. Go to your iTunes store, not your iPod, but your iTunes store. Click that icon real quick, and I will tell you how you can listen to our series, Why We Should Believe, whenever you want. Okay? So go to your iTunes store, and then you're on the search, do a little search. At the very bottom, bottom right, you search, and then type in TBC Overflow. TBC Overflow. We have been we have been in the middle of a series. You can turn that off. You can turn that off. We've been in the middle of a series called <laughs> Thanks Anthony for that. Appreciate that. That plug. But anyway, um, we're not trying to self promote. We're just trying to get these things out there. And so basically you can go to you guys have it. Um, you can download those directly from your off your iPhone and you can uh, if a friend is struggling with something, you can actually say, Hey, listen to this, this might help. It's a way if you, if you miss a week, you can catch up. Uh, these are posted weekly, and so uh, please do that if you would like to uh, listen to those while you're jogging, and I will inspire you with my words, maybe. Um, but anyway, so that's the, the podcast. Uh, I want to review real quick where we've been the last few weeks. We've been doing a series called Why We Should Believe. Here's a brief, quick overview of what we covered. We've talked about how um, reasons why you should believe, reasons for the faith. We've talked about uh, clues for God, which came out of Romans chapter 1. Listen to the podcast. Uh, Prophecy, we talked about how uh, hundreds, if not thousands of years before Christ, he was pre- it was predicted that he would come here, born of a virgin. He would come to Bethlehem. He would be born there. He would actually die. He would resurrect. All those kinds of things were told beforehand uh, through prophecy. Secondly, or thirdly, the problem of sin. How does that show that you should believe? Here's how. No other religion in the world takes care of the problem of sin the way that Christ does. No one else even really attempts it. Everyone else's solution is just, okay, be a good person, try really hard. But only Jesus actually takes care of the problem of sin. Fourthly, religion versus the gospel. Religion says, work your way to God. Do what you can to work your way to God. Be a good person. The gospel says, there's nothing you can do to be good before God. So God had to come into our world. He had to incarnate himself into our world and die for us on the cross. That's the gospel. One is grace-based. One is works-based. If man invents religion, it always is works-based. No man would have invented a grace-based religion. It just wouldn't have happened. Wouldn't have happened. And then last week we talked about the cross. And the way that I think the cross shows that the gospel is true is because no one would have invented the idea of the cross. If, if Christianity is a man-made religion, no one would have invented the idea that their hero would get killed like a criminal. Like, that's not going to sell. No one's going to believe that. Oh, so your hero, the Messiah, said he was killed how? Tell us again. On a cross like a criminal? Right? That's not going to sell. So today we come to the resurrection. 
the resurrection. Now, um, before we ask your first couple of questions at your tables, I want to say a couple things about this. Uh, in a few months, we're going to have Easter. And have you guys ever been flipping channels around Easter time and come across, like, Nat Geo or Discovery Channel or History Channel and seen those specials on Jesus? Have you seen those things? Um, I know you guys don't watch stuff like that because it's kind of nerdy, but, but you do. Okay, you do. All right. I watch it because I'm a nerd, but they'll interview these guys that are always from, like, you know, some major East Coast school like Harvard or Yale or Princeton, the big boys, right? Or MIT, yes. Uh, And these guys will always have accents, with British accents. They sound really smart. And they always have beards, so they can go like this while they're talking, right? And they always look the part of being this really scholarly person. Well, these guys, here's what they'll say. They'll say things like, yeah, you know, we don't know if Jesus really died on our cross. We're not really sure if he really resurrected. That, that's just all kind of myth and legend. Like, here's what really happened. All right? And you'll hear these kinds of things all the time on those types of, of channels. Now, um, the, the crazy thing is, they'll also say things like that the story was a legend and it was like a modern day version of telephone. Okay? You guys know the game telephone where you tell someone something that they can change as it goes throughout oral transmission. So basically they were saying that, that throughout history that this whole deal just changed. Like maybe one guy said, maybe after Christ died on the cross, maybe a guy, one of his disciples said something like, you know what, I feel as though maybe he is living inside my heart. And then another guy said, oh, you know what, I feel the same way. And then he actually made the story a little bit different and said, I actually saw a vision of him last night at my house. Then someone else changed it and said, well, I actually saw him in the flesh, okay? And that's how this whole thing transpired. And before long, you had this big legend, this big myth that grew out of some misconceptions that some young, naive, gullible people had about the risen Christ. That's how they'll explain it away. And so the crazy part is, though, there are some people that you'll see on those types of shows that will even claim to be Christians. And they will be pastors and preachers all over the world that will say things like, yeah, you know, I don't think the resurrection really happened the way that the Bible says. It was maybe more spiritual, like a spiritual resurrection, than a physical resurrection. So your first two questions at your tables, go ahead and discuss those first two questions briefly. Okay, I want to hear some feedback from the room. So for the first question, if someone says that Jesus did not resurrect physically, can that person still be a Christian? What do you think? No? Okay, tell me why. They're like, I don't want follow-up questions. I just want to answer no. Yes or no. Tell me why you, why you think that. Yes. Anyone can rise from the dead? I 
let's hear your going though. Thanks, thanks for that response. Yes, Ashley. Okay. So we're gonna get there in just a minute. Um, what else? Okay, who would say yes? So it'd be like you're humanizing Jesus. Like, he's just a human. He can't really be God. Okay, great point. It's a really good point. Um, anything else? With the other hands up? Uh, you call the Bible a lie. Exactly. You call the Bible a lie. Now, um, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. Turn your Bibles there if you have them with you. And I've just accepted the fact, yes, but I can't hear you. What's that? How can you have a spiritual resurrection? Let me explain this. Some people will say things like that Jesus' body um, lay in the grave, but that his spirit like ascended to be with the Father, right? And they would just say, kind of like what happens to you whenever you die, that, that you have this soul that sort of transcends and, and that your body stays in the grave. That's what they would say, okay? Um, I think they're wrong, but that's what they would say. That make sense? Great question. Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're looking at one verse here. We're going to move on to Romans 6 later on. But uh, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 17. Here's what it says. Here's why the resurrection matters. It matters immensely. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Here's what it's saying. If Jesus is dead, then so is Christianity. He's saying that if Christ has not been if Christ has not been raised, then you and I are wasting our time this morning. You guys got up this morning. Some of you brushed your teeth. Some of you combed your hair, did your hair. Some of you got ready to be here this morning. If the resurrection has not occurred, then you wasted your time this morning you may as well just stay home and watch football today. And some of you are like, well, hurry up so I can. Okay? But seriously, if the resurrection didn't happen, then everything that we do here at Overflow Ministry, impact, mission trips, serving the needy, all of that is meaningless and void if the resurrection did not occur. Futile. Meaningless. This also means that if the resurrection did not occur, that we are still under sin's power, sin's guilt, and sin's shame, that there is no forgiveness. So if the resurrection did not happen, then those moments where you feel guilt and shame as a result of your sin, that all you can really do is just sit there in your shame, sit there in your guilt, because there is no forgiveness for you if Christ was not resurrected. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Every single one of us in our heart feels like we long for God's forgiveness, don't we? In your soul, there's this feeling of like, yes, I've, I've messed up. I feel shame. I feel guilt. But, but I feel like, not that God should forgive me because I deserve it, but that I have this hope that He will. 
There's something in us that just that feels that, I think, from God. Now, secondly, I think that all of us actually have a desire for physical resurrection. I mean, can you imagine if there was no resurrection, not just for Christ, but also for us? Imagine if you just went to the grave, and that was it. And you just rot in the grave. That was your, that was your whole, this whole life, meaningless, purposeless, but your whole existence just rots in, an, in a coffin for till whenever. If there is no resurrection, then that is what would happen to us. Have you guys ever been at a funeral, especially when you're a kid? What's probably the earliest age you went to, like, to, to a funeral? Like four years old, five years old? Probably the earliest age. Um, it, it's kind of freaky because you're just, it's just a weird deal if you're a small kid. But have you had that thought, like even during a funeral, that, wow, I, I just wish that they could just literally rise out of that coffin. Like, it, that freaked people out. And it would create, like, ten other deaths in the room. But you have this feeling that I wish that could happen. I wish this person could just come back, right? On a more more, more sad note, um, when I was probably eight or nine years old, um, my, my aunt and uncle, they had a baby born prematurely. Uh, two months premature. This is back in the day when they couldn't really um, rescue babies like that as well as they do now. But this baby was basically in the hospital for eight months on a respirator, um, just really trying to save this baby's life. And uh, I was assumed to even go into the hospital room to see the baby when I was that small. Um, so that my first, it actually ended up, after like eight months, it didn't make it. It didn't survive. And I say he. I'm not going to call it it. He didn't survive. And uh, this baby never held a baby rattle. It never saw outside the hospital walls. All it knew was just machines and, and cords and wires. That was, that was his whole life. And I can remember thinking as a kid, sitting at this funeral, my first time to see my, my, my cousin was at his funeral. And, like, seeing his saddest sight, seeing a, a small casket, seeing this baby just, you know, not live. And it was so hard for me as a kid to see that because I so wanted this baby just kind of rise and just and, and, and wake up. There's something in us that longs for resurrection. There's something in us that wants, that desires it. God has placed that, I think, within us. Now, if you can imagine the resurrection of Christ, now think about this. These men spent three years with Jesus. They ate with him. They talked with him. They joked around with him. I think Christ probably told the best jokes of anyone. Like, perfect jokes. Okay? Perfect humor, timing, everything. But they spent time with Jesus. They knew him. They laughed with him. They talked with him. They saw him calm storms. They saw him feed thousands with a guy's lunch. They saw him do miracles that just blew your mind. They saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. They saw him heal blindness. They saw him do amazing works that no one had ever even heard of before. They spent three years with this amazing man that they knew to be God. And then to see him go to a cross and to die there. To watch that man actually bleed out on a cross 
in humiliating fashion. And to walk away from that scene just dejected, thinking that we're defeated. Being confused, not quite knowing what just happened. You can imagine their confusion in those three days that Christ was in the grave. But then imagine their immense joy the moment that they saw him for the first time again. Can you, can you imagine that scene? I mean, think of your life. Think of someone that you love. You're having Thanksgiving dinner and Grandma walks in, right? And she passed away a few years ago. That, that your great-grandmother walks into the room. Just, just imagine the reaction of the family, what that would be like. This must have been the reaction of, of these disciples, thinking that he was dead, he was gone, questioning everything he may have said, everything he may have done. And then to see him resurrected, just the, the joy that that would bring about in their lives. So this morning what I want to do is I want to give you like just a few um, reasons for the resurrection, a few evidences. These are actually going to be more like academic. And then I want to get over to um, how the resurrection really does apply to you and your walk with God. And not just stay in the academic realm. But I do at least want to equip you. If you have friends that have questions about the resurrection and how do we know this really happened, those types of questions, that you know how to answer those. But my, here's, my, here's my fear, though. I'm giving you this information not so you can argue better. I, I'm giving it to you so you can love better. Okay? So here's uh, the first reason. Evidence for the resurrection. Fake resurrections are easily disproved. Now, if we had a friend, and that friend passed away, and then someone came and said, and said, they've been raised from the dead. Now, what do we have to do to disprove that? Go to the grave? If there's a big hole in the ground, then we've got some questions we need to answer. Okay? But if there's nothing there, like we're, we're okay, well, at the very least, I don't condone digging up graves. Okay? But, Let's just say if someone claimed that this resurrection happened and that a religion has started after that and we started building churches and buildings and writing books and universities are founded on that truth and that idea, then let's just go dig up the thing and see if they're still in there, right? Fake resurrections are easily disproved. If Jesus' resurrection had been a hoax or had been a lie, it could have easily been disproved. One, let's just go there and see. And see if the body's still there. Secondly, some scholars will say that, that maybe the body was stolen. The problem with this, though, is that there were guards guarding the tomb. How could the body be stolen with guards guarding the front of the tomb? Fake resurrections are easily disproved. Secondly, doubters became believers. Doubters became believers. People who did not believe that Jesus was God, that he was the Messiah, believed after the resurrection. People that knew him his entire life, 30, 33 years, that did not believe he was who he said he was. But then they saw something that changed their doubt to belief. 
And I think that thing was the resurrection. It had to be the resurrection. What else? If someone did not believe for 33 years, what's really going to convince them? A little trick, a little miracle? Well, they saw all that stuff. They heard about all that stuff. So what's the one thing that's going to convince them? I think it's the resurrection. You look at um, Thomas, one of the twelve. What was his nickname? Doubting Thomas. I love the fact that, that Jesus put a doubter right in his midst. And that he had someone that was part of the twelve that actually had to come and put his fingers in his nail-scarred hands, put his fingers in his side, and then he believed. There is someone that Jesus picked as his twelve that had struggles with doubt, disbelief, just like me and you. And he had to see it. He had to see the evidence. And guess what Christ did? Christ showed it to him. He showed him the evidence. He didn't say, no, no, I'm not going to show you my nail-scarred hands until you believe. Believe first, then I'll show you. He didn't say that. He showed him. said, look, this is, this is it. Gives me hope. Because I'm a big doubter. I'm a cynic, man. I'm skeptical. We also see this in the life of James. I mentioned this on Wednesday. James, the brother of Jesus. Um, I mentioned to you guys on Wednesday how, how difficult would it be to be the brother of Jesus. Right? I mean, you're, you're, you're Jesus' brother. He, of course, you're fully human. He's... God and human together somehow mixed together and you, you can't quite make sense of it. He, at least he, he, he claims to be God anyway. And if you're his brother, that's what you're thinking of it in those terms. But imagine people and how they would look at you. You're James. You're his brother. And they say things like, oh, you're, oh, you're James? Like, Jesus' brother James? Oh, your brother's the guy that says he's the Messiah, right? And you're like, yeah, I know. It's kind of embarrassing. He's... We're trying to give him medication, but he's not going to take any. Right? So, you can imagine being James in his shoes. James goes from, James goes from disbelieving his, Christ's entire life to believing. What must that thing have been? It must have been the resurrection. John chapter 7 verse 5 says, For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Scripture says that even his own family did not even believe he was the Messiah until something big happened. That big thing must have been the resurrection. Third reason, many witnesses died for their faith. Many witnesses died for their faith. Here's a question for you. Why would someone die for a lie? Why would someone die for a hoax? If you're going to die for a lie, you've got to be like mentally deranged, insane, Right? The great philosopher Pascal said this. He said, I believe those witnesses who get their throats cut. Go to the next slide, Anthony. Next slide. Maybe I didn't put that in there. Let's see. This one says, I believe those witnesses who get their throats cut. That's by Pascal. I believe people that, that go through martyrdom too. And there were many people that, that um, died because of their faith. Here's the, the next reason. The first eyewitnesses were women. Now, you might wonder why I'm saying that. And this is not at all a sexist statement, but here's the deal, ladies. Back in that day, unfortunately, men were not as aware as they are today of how great y'all are. Okay? They were totally unaware of this fact. And so women were kind of seen as like second-class citizens. 
right? And so because of that, a woman's testimony was not considered evidence in court. So if a woman saw a murder firsthand, and there were two men, one killed the other one, she saw it, and no one else saw it, her witness would not be permissible in court. Because men have this history of thinking that they're better than, for some reason. And I'm so glad we've solved that. But because of this fact, the Bible tells us that women were the first eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. Now, if you're a man, and you are making up this story as a big hoax, then why are you going to pick the first witnesses to be women, people that that society would not trust or believe? Not that they should, but they wouldn't because they weren't admissible in court. Why would you pick them as your first witnesses? That would not give you credibility if you were a man making up this story. The next reason, many saw him after the resurrection. The Bible says that over the course of 40 days, that over 500 people saw the risen Christ. For the scholars out there in the world that say things like, well, they probably just hallucinated him. Or they just saw a vision. I'm sorry, but there's no way that 500 people at the same time can have the same hallucination. Okay? I've tried, and it doesn't work. I'm kidding. Um, The next reason. Jesus' tomb was not enshrined. You might wonder, well, how's that? What does that mean? Okay, what I mean by that is this. If Jesus did not resurrect, if there was, still, if there was a tomb that he was actually in, that he was located in, Jesus had tons of followers. That place would have become a place of, of enshrinement, a, pl- a place of sacred. A place where people would go there to sort of pay their respects. A place where people would go there to worship almost. I've been to several well-known graves uh, in my 33 years. And uh, I've been to the graves of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, um, C.S. Lewis over in Oxford, England. I've seen his grave. I've seen the graves of all the popes underneath the cathedral in the middle of Rome. Those places are places of enshrinement, places where people actually go there to touch the stone and just to say they went there. Okay? If Jesus had been not resurrected, there would have been this place from the time that he died until even today. This place that people knew about that said, yes, that's where he is still today. It's amazing when you think about it. If you look it up on Wikipedia, you can find where Buddha is buried, where Muhammad is buried, where most of the founders of the major religions, where they are buried, except for one, Jesus. There's no tomb. There's no place in history that says, this is where it is. His body's right in here. It's amazing when you think about that fact. Anybody else in the world that's found a religion, you can find their their grave. We, We know where it is, except for Jesus. And then lastly, last reason, Christianity exploded. When the resurrection happened, and people saw it firsthand, Christianity just took off like a rocket. It exploded. There's no other explanation for how the church began than the fact that the resurrection happened. There's no other historical explanation as to how it could have happened that way. Now, if you're a skeptic like me, and you need evidence that's outside the Bible, let me give you some. This is a quote by 
an historian named Josephus. He lived in the first century. And here's his quote. He said this. Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man. For he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first, and did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day. As the divine prophets had foretold these, and ten thousand other wonderful things concerning him, and the tribe of Christians, so named from him, are not extinct at this day. Written in the first century, outside the Bible, historical evidence for the risen Christ. Now, the resurrection just wasn't some cool trick that God pulled off to wow his followers. The resurrection wasn't just some thing that God just made up one day and did. The resurrection carries really powerful implications for us. The resurrection means some really powerful things for your lives today in the here and now. And so turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, if you have your Bibles with you. Romans 6. And what I want to do, this is a long path. I want to read uh, the first, just 14 verses. We'll stick with the first 14 verses of Romans 6. And I want to show you just uh, kind of a quick overview, if we can, with Romans 6. It's hard to do, but we're going to do it anyway. With how this ties into where you are today here in Temple, Texas. Romans 6, 1-14, here's what it says. Paul writes, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or do you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died... He died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. I couldn't break that passage down into one verse, so I had to read the entire thing. But here's the big picture of what Paul's saying. Jesus Christ was raised. He was resurrected so that you and I can live a new life in the here and now. Not just in the future. Here's the big picture truth of what Paul is saying. 
We are united with Christ in his death and his burial and his resurrection. When Paul writes, whenever Paul writes, you find yourself, well, my head really hurts, right? I'm not quite sure what he just said. But you've got to get this big picture truth if you want to see how it relates to your life today. What he's saying is this. That what happened to Christ, listen up, what happened to Christ physically happened to me and you spiritually. So Christ was put to death. Why? Because of our sins. So now God sees you as if you have already paid for your sins. Christ paid for your sins, but Christ sees you as if the debt has been paid. Christ was put in the ground. He was buried. He was also raised up. And so God sees you as if the same thing has happened to you. Christ lived a perfect life. And God sees you as if you lived a perfect life when you're a follower of Christ and you place your faith in Christ. And so what happened to Christ physically happened to us spiritually. He says you are now dead to sin. You are alive to God. This is your new identity. This is your new identity. Now, sir, we still struggle with sin. I'm not saying when I say you're dead to sin, I'm not saying that you don't struggle with sin. That's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage is this. That you are no longer under the power of sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. So here's how this plays out in your everyday personal life. The command in verse 12 is don't, don't what? Verse 12. Don't let sin have power over you. That because of your newfound identity in Christ, don't let sin have power over you. So whenever you and I do the same things over and over and over again, and you walk in sin, when you choose to walk in sin as a Christian, you are allowing sin to have power over you. Before you were a Christian, you had no choice. You had to follow sin. But now that you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you that dwells inside of you. And now you have a choice. You have a choice. And so the challenge to you is, are you someone who caters to sin? Are you someone who gives in easily to sin? Are you someone who chooses to walk in sin? If that is you, you are not living out of your newfound identity in Christ. You are living the old life of sin. I know there are people in this room right now that you're a Christian. But you're still under the power of sin. You are living as if you're not a believer. You are living as if you have the old identity. And these words, my hope for these words is that when you realize that because of the resurrected Christ, you are set free from sin and death. You are set free from the power of sin. If you have some... uh, more questions to discuss. I know it's kind of late. But go ahead and discuss those last four questions and go ahead and pray at your tables as you close out. 